This is the Maverick Minister Deranged Christmas Story podcast series. Hello, I'm Mike Davis. And I'm Grace Smith. And we want to welcome you to the third episode of our special Christmas edition of the Maverick Minister Deranged Bible Stories podcast series. Just in case you're listening to this episode, before you've had the opportunity to listen to episodes one and two, let us catch you up to date on where this episode fits into the whole story. We've already heard about Zechariah, Elizabeth, and the birth of John the Baptist. As well as the message the angel Gabriel brought to Mary about her becoming the mother of God's son in episode one. We've come to recognize that the Christmas story is as much about each of us now as it is about the people who lived it over 2,000 years ago. And we have heard the story of the birth directly from Joseph, Mary, the innkeeper, and his wife in podcast two. So in this podcast, we will hear the rest of the Christmas story from the angels, shepherds, and wise men. Following is an interdivision heavenly memorandum from the Archangel Gabriel, Chief Trumpeter and Executive Vice President of Communications. And it is written to the Archangel Raphael, Artistic Director of all Angel Choirs and Celestial Productions. Dear Raffi, Nobody is supposed to know about any of this quite yet. But since it's all going to happen within the month and you're going to be put in charge of planning the announcement ceremony, I don't see any harm in telling you what's going on. Besides, if I don't tell somebody soon, I'm going to strain a wing trying to hold it in. I'm talking about a birth that's coming up this next month on Earth. Now, I know that you're thinking births down there usually are not all that extraordinary. But this one is different. About eight months ago, the Holy One sent me to Earth to deliver the strangest message of my career. Now, I've delivered a lot of messages to people, especially messages about having children. In fact, I've heard that some humans seem to think that every time I show up on Earth, somebody gets pregnant. But now that I think about it, I have delivered pregnancy messages to Abraham and Sarah, Jacob and Lee, Hannah, Rachel, and even that old priest Zachariah. But none of those messages were anything like this one. This was addressed to a girl named Mary, and it read like this. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High God, and the Lord will give him the throne, and of his kingdom there will be no end. To be honest, when I first read it, I thought the boss was joking. In fact, I laughed right out loud. You know how he kids around sometimes, like that time when he mixed up all the languages, or when he fashioned that big piece of land into the shape of a boot, or when he drew all of those pictures of dippers and things in the sky with the stars. I thought he was just kidding around with this message, too. But he didn't laugh. He looked as serious as I've ever seen him. All he said was, he's sure to deliver this personally. He was so serious that I didn't know what to say. So I just asked, shall I bring you back a reply? 
He looked at me with that kind of sad look he gets sometimes when the humans are having a war, or when they're ignoring or destroying something that he especially loves. Then he said, No, just deliver it. I'll know the answer before you will. I read the message again, and I was still pretty confused, so I asked, Lord, just in case she doesn't understand, would you explain to me what the message means? Rafi, you'll never believe what he told me. He said that he was going to become one of them. That's right. God himself, the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity, the creator and sustainer of the universe, is going to be born from a human woman, and God is going to become a human being. Now, I can remember him doing some pretty strange things in the past, but this is just too much. As soon as he told me, I couldn't help myself. My wings started trembling, and I blurted out in a far too forceful tone, Oh, my God, no! You can't do this! It's absurd! It's preposterous! It's dangerous! They don't listen to you now! Why would they listen to you as one of them? They aren't going to accept you! Why, they could even try to kill you! Why would you even think of putting yourself through the pain and confusion and uncertainty of their lives? God, this is crazy! Suddenly, I realized who I was talking to, and I felt myself begin to shake all over. I was pretty loud, and everybody nearby had heard me, and there was a kind of deadly silence. All I could think about was what happened to that other angel right after he got finished screaming at God. I think his name was Lucy. Or Lucifer. Yeah, yeah, Lucifer, that was it. Well, to everybody's surprise, especially mine, the boss wasn't angry. He looked at me standing there shaking, and he smiled. Then he put his hands on my wings and said, Gabriel, you're right. Most of them probably won't listen to me. And most of them probably won't accept me. I'll suffer pain and confusion and uncertainty. And suffering death is definitely a real possibility. But there's no other way. There's no other way to convince them that I love them too much to let them go on trying to live without me. I've tried every other way to show them, and yet they go on with their day-to-day -day lives as if nothing in the universe mattered except them. They try so hard to be happy and secure without me, but they destroy themselves and each other in the process. They live out most of their lives in fear without any real hope or meaning or joy, and I love them too much to let them go on like that any longer. Just maybe by becoming one of them, I'll finally be able to convince them that I'm real and that I created them for nothing more than to love and to be loved. You're right, Gabriel. This is crazy. But the ones who are willing to believe in my craziness will be saved from their insanity. Raffi, you know, you just can't argue with him when he starts talking like that. So I went to deliver the message. When I got there, the address wasn't exactly the palace of a king or a queen. It wasn't the home of a great orator or statesman. It wasn't even an upscale condo. It was a small, cheap, tacky house in the poorest part of a little town called Nazareth. And Mary? 
the girl God chose to bring him into the world? She's sweet, but she doesn't seem very bright. She's fifteen years old and not even married. She's an unwed teenager, for God's sake. But I had my orders, so I gave her the message, and I half hoped that she'd say, No way. But she didn't. She looked scared and confused, even a little more so than most of them do when one of us shows up. But she said, If God really wants me to do this, then I'll do it. She's got a lot more character and courage than I expected, which makes me feel a little better anyway. But Rafi, I'm still scared to death to think of God putting himself and the future of the whole creation into the hands of creatures like this. I'll never understand what he sees in them. It must be a lot more than any of us can see. Anyway, tomorrow you'll be getting the official go-ahead about organizing the announcement ceremony. It's supposed to happen in a little town called Bethlehem. We have to make sure that at least this part of the project will happen in an appropriately elegant setting. So organize all the choirs and all the musicians you can find. What the heck? Gather the entire heavenly hosts. Let's make sure that the announcement is as big and as brassy as possible. We don't want anybody to miss it. The focus has to be on getting everyone's attention and waking them up to what's going on. If we can let them know that he's coming, maybe it'll make a difference. With you in charge, Rafi, I know it'll be great. So give my love to the choirs. Ciao. Gabe. Interdivision Heavenly Memorandum from the Archangel Raphael, Artistic Director of All Angel Choirs and Celestial Productions, to the Archangel Gabriel, Chief Trumpeter and Executive Vice President of Communications. Dear Gabe, so sorry you couldn't make it to the announcement ceremony last night. But wing sciatica is just about the most painful thing in the universe. There are two kinds of angels, you know, those who have had wing sciatica and those who are going to have it. I hear the best treatment is just to rest and take it easy. At any rate, I do want to let you know how things went. It was just brilliant and so exciting. As you suggested, we cleared all the clouds away and the polished stars were incredible. Oh, you should have seen them. They were more vivid and dazzling than when he first made them. And that extra star for the birth was just the right touch too. It was luminous, but in good taste and you could see it clearly from just about anywhere in the world. You know, I heard that some intellectual types from the Far East were really impressed by it and that they were putting together an expedition to research and follow the star wherever it goes. 
It is a bit more encouraging to think that at least a few of these humans do seem to have good taste. But Gabe, really, who made the hotel arrangements for the birth? Simple can be nice, but having God born in a stable takes tacky and caress to a whole new level. I mean, this place was the pits. Animals, bad smells and all. I'd like to be a seraphim on the wall when Joseph fills out the review for this hotel. No stars. But... The announcement ceremony itself couldn't have been better. It far surpassed even my wildest expectations. All of the angelic choruses, the orchestra, trumpeters, even the cherubs appeared and made music so beautiful that it would curl your wingtips. You know, they haven't sung like that with such joy since before the flood. Well, the whole thing was really a wonderful experience. There were enough of us to fill up the sky from Bethlehem to Jerusalem, and the sound of the music must have carried for 500 miles. When we first appeared and started to sing, I could see some shepherds in a field who saw us right away, and afterwards, I thought we were going to have to give them CPR. I sent the angel herald to tell them that everything was all right and that God was being born in Bethlehem. You know, the shepherds must not have been very bright people because after they heard the news and left to find the baby, all they did was keep singing this song that went, Hark, Herald, the angel sings glory to the newborn king. Oh, God, I hope that never catches on. But Gabe, the most surprising and disheartening thing was that no one else even noticed us. All of the excitement and joy and peace and love that we were singing about. Everything that we were trying to tell the world. Except for a few shepherds, it was all missed. People walked down the streets without ever even looking up. People sat in their houses, too engrossed in their own business, to notice that we were singing and that God was close enough to touch. You would have thought that somebody else would have seen us. At least some of them should have heard us, but except for those few shepherds, no one did. Honestly, I just don't understand it. It is as if these creatures have been completely out of touch with reality for so long that drab emptiness just seems normal to them. They don't expect there to be anything more to life than their businesses, their bank accounts, their families, their relationships, their countries, their world. And none of those things are really even theirs. 
They can't seem to even imagine life as anything more than just going from one problem or worry or concern to another. They're lost in the forest of their own self-centeredness. And they have been lost for so long that they have come to believe that being lost is normal. As if they have forgotten how to look up and see the stars. And us. Gabriel, after seeing humans like this, I can understand why he came to them. This way maybe he can convince them to follow him out of that forest, or at least maybe in the midst of the forest, he can show them how to look up and see what life is really all about. And if we're lucky, he'll be able to get them to see us too. Anyway, now they have a chance. I hope you feel better soon. Love, Raffi. Oh, and by the way, Merry Christmas. The following is a letter written by Gaspar, one of the wise men who visited Jesus after his birth and it is addressed to Gaspar's mother. Dear Mom, When you and Dad sent me to college and then on to graduate school for a master's degree and finally on for my Ph.D., you said you wanted me to be a wise man. And now I am one. Dr. Gaspar, I know you believed all this education would land me a job with prestige, sophistication, and comfort. Well, let me tell you, for the past 18 months, I've been bounding around following a star all over the Middle East from the hump of a camel. And I want you to know that there is nothing prestigious, sophisticated, or comfortable about any of it. But there is one saving grace. Except for the other two wise men, and I use the term loosely, I may be the most educated camel jockey in the world. As I'm sure you are wondering at this point, no. I am not writing to ask for money. I'm writing because this project is finally over and tomorrow we start for home. And I want to let you know that I am well and tell you about this whole experience, which no one will ever believe. When this expedition began, none of the three of us ever really expected that it would take so long or that we would have to travel so far. We each had our own theories about the star but we never expected that this would become such an earth-shattering discovery. Old Professor Melchior, who was the first to discover it and who wrote the grant for this expedition, was convinced that the star was completely new and significant. And because it had never been seen before, some great world event was connected to its appearance. I just figured it was a comet or a nova or something that would be a passing fad. And crazy old Dr. Balthasar thought it was a UFO, full of creatures from another planet who wanted to make contact with life here on the Earth. And he wanted to be the first to contact them. The truth is that if he was the first, they could rule out any first contact with intelligent life. 
So, with our different theories, we all decided to follow the star, or comet, or UFO, or whatever it was until we found out the truth. Actually, I didn't want to go. But Melchior is the head of the Wisdom Department, Balthasar is an associate professor, and I don't have tenure yet. So I went. We took instruments, technicians, food, tents, camels, and Balthasar took gold, frankincense, and myrrh to give as gifts to the little green guys he hoped to find. For months we followed that star, riding night after night on those camels. After a while, both my brain and my backside just hoped the star would disappear. But it didn't. We went from village to village and town to town. People would ask, where are you going? We'd say, we're not sure. They'd ask, what are you doing? We'd say, following that star. They'd ask, why? We'd answer, we don't exactly know. Then they'd say, and they call themselves wise men. Nobody took us seriously. It was embarrassing. Finally, we came to a city called Jerusalem, the capital of a country called Israel, and there were some people in that city who did take us seriously. They asked us the same questions everyone else had been asking, and when we told them what we were doing, they took us to see their king. I believe his name was Harry, or Herod, or something like that. I have it written in my notes somewhere. He was kind of a sleazy-looking fellow, hardly the kind of person that you'd be comfortable buying a used camel or a watch from. I told Barthasar to keep quiet about the gifts, especially the gold, until we got out of town. We asked about using their library, but they didn't have one. This Herod called together some of what he called scholars. They seemed more like politicians to me. They told us about a legend which said a star would appear when the greatest king in Israel who was destined to change the whole world, was born. They said this king was supposed to be born in a little cow town called Bethlehem, about six miles due south of Jerusalem. Since the star appeared almost two years ago, I thought, great, we've been traveling on these stupid camels for 18 months to see a toddler king. What a thrill. Balthazar was as disappointed as I was. No flying saucer, no green men. But old Melchior seemed more excited than when we had first seen the star. So after coming this far, it did seem kind of foolish not to finish the trip, even if it was only to see a little kid. So up on old Betsy once again and on to Bethlehem. On the way out of town, Herod said that as soon as we found this king, we should be sure and let him know where the baby was so that he could pay a visit to him in Bethlehem too. Melchior said he would but I didn't even want to get anywhere close to this King Herod again. The guy made my skin crawl. So we rode into Bethlehem at about three o'clock in the afternoon. We got a hotel, got the camels taken care of, and then waited for it to get dark. You know, the hardest thing about following a star is that you can only do it at night. Well, the star rose early in the evening and we followed it to sort of a lower middle-class house in a blue-collar suburb of the town. It certainly wasn't what any of us expected. We were looking for a king, not a plumber. But the star said the king was there. Old Balthasar had unpacked the gold, frankincense, and myrrh as gifts to the new king. Just because he wasn't green, there was no point in hauling them all the way back home. So we knocked on the door, and a very plain woman answered. We figured it was the maid. She turned out to be the king's mother. 
She looked a little surprised at how we were dressed. But in our country, visiting kings is a dress-up affair. We explained that we had followed a star and we were looking for the king. She didn't seem nearly so surprised about that. She invited us in and we didn't even have to ask where the king was. He was sitting on the floor playing with some pieces of wood. Mom, when that child looked at us, something happened that I just cannot explain. When he looked into my eyes, it was as if he had reached into my psyche. No, it wasn't my psyche. It was like he had reached into my very soul and taken hold of it with his hands. He was only a little child, but I saw in his eyes more wisdom than I will ever know. I felt like a child in his presence, and later on, I found out that each of us had felt the same way. He smiled at us, and it was as if we were filled with what I can only describe as an overwhelming sense of peace, like everything in the world was in harmony and life was what it was meant to be. I felt absolutely joyous. Now, I'm not sure I've ever really experienced joy, so I don't have any real context for it, but joy is the only word that comes to mind. The reality is that I have never felt that way before, and I have never felt that way since. The next thing we knew, we were on our knees worshiping this child. Now, you know very well that worship and religion have never been a big part of my life, but at that moment... Worship was the only thing I could think of to do. It seemed as easy and as natural as it could be. Anyway, we gave the child the gifts, and then we left and went back to the hotel. That child is every inch a king, but he's a whole lot more than that. He's... he's... something that I cannot even begin to describe. Just those brief moments with him have caused something to be changed in me. I'm not sure yet what it is or what it all means. It's as if the star we were following has suddenly flared up inside of me. I've never felt better in my life. Balthazar and Melchior say basically the same thing. Melchior said it was as if, by finding the child, the star had become part of us. Now that definitely sounds pretty far-fetched. But oddly enough, we can't seem to locate the star in the sky anymore. We have no way to explain that but we are going to continue to research it when we get back to the university. I'm sorry for rambling on about this bizarre story so much, but I want you to know that because of it, I've never been happier in my life. Anyway, we are on the way home, and I'll be seeing you soon. I just want you to know how much I love you, and Dad, and how I am looking forward to seeing you both. Sincerely, your son. The wise man. A few days after the wise men left, something terrible happened. We had to run away from Bethlehem. Joseph woke us up in the middle of the night. Somehow he knew the authorities were sending the secret police to kill my baby. I still don't know why or how he knew, but he did. 
And so we ran as fast as we could out of that town with just the clothes on our backs. I heard later that Herod's secret police came in the night and that they took every firstborn baby boy in that whole town under three years old from every mother's arms and they killed them right in front of their mother's eyes. It must have been horrible. My child lived and we got away. But oh, I can still feel the pain each one of those women felt. Why? For God's sakes, why? What kind of a God lets something like that happen? What kind of a God lets something like that happen? You don't really expect an answer to that question, do you? Maybe not, but I sure would like to have an answer that makes sense. Then I guess the answer is that the terrible, evil things people do just don't ever make sense. Not even in the Christmas story. That's not very satisfying, you know. I know, but it's the best I can do. Do you want to finish the story? Of course. I know. Context, setting, and drama. Joseph said we had to go all the way to Egypt that night and stay there until Herod died. He found a place for us to rent, and as always, Joseph opened a carpentry business and was able to provide for us. He was such a good man and always a good and dependable provider. We stayed in Egypt for almost three years until we heard that Herod had died, and then we moved back to Nazareth, where we knew we would be safe. Little Jesus was five years old when we made that long trip to our hometown. I was so glad he was able to grow up there with our families around us. He was such a happy child. So this is where the Christmas story ends. We hope that this rendition of the story has helped put you into the Christmas spirit. And we hope that the real meaning of the season will make this Christmas both special and uplifting in the midst of all the struggles and challenges that have filled this very difficult year. In these past three episodes, our deranged and unique focus has been on the events in the biblical account of the Christmas story. In our fourth and final episode of the Deranged Christmas Story podcast for this year, we want to depart from the biblical accounts which shape the season and simply share some of our favorite and most heartwarming of the secular Christmas stories with you. We promise not to derange them, but just to present them as they were originally meant to be told. Thanks, Thanks so, so much, much for listening, listening and, and have, have a, a Merry, Merry Christmas! Christmas.